I'm Julie. I'm Kristen. I'm Kate. And welcome to Topical Island. Each week, one of us will deep dive into a topic that interests us. Have you ever wondered how to become a Disney princess? Is diva behavior acceptable? And what does it have to do with the opera? Will we get to work from home forever, ever? Join us as we answer these questions and more. As each week, we will take you to a different topical island. Welcome, everyone, to Topical Island. Hello, Kate. Hello, Kristen. How are you? Kristen, I'm going to jump to you. How has your week been? My week's been good. I uh, I feel like that's my thing, is my week's been good. Um, <laughs> and, and then I just go, I'm not going to talk about my week. I, I would like to talk about something completely different. And very behind. And I am also like, have we talked about this before? Have you guys already watched Ted Lasso? No. no. Okay. <laughs> we are not an up-to-date crew. <laughs> no. And it's so good. And I can't believe you guys haven't seen it. But I just started. But don't you have dorks? to have Apple TV? <laughs> I had, I've, I've found my ways. You found a way to get oh. it. Okay. Oh, I'm on a family plan. I'm on a fa- pl- okay. plan with my no, family. I thought, Sorry, I'm I not, thought you were I'm saying that. bootlegging, yeah. No, I I mean, I try, I've, I've tried bootlegging. It has always backfired, and I am too much of a wuss to, to try. Have you ever anymore. got the letter? From, like, no, like nothing government? severe has ever happened. Have you gotten There's the letter? There's a letter from the government. My brother has gotten the letter, yeah. Really? Yeah. Or do we have to cut all this out? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> years ago. Okay. What does the letter from the government say? It's like, we know that you're downloading illegally. Stop it now. Crazy. There you go. Well, there you go. No, I, I mean, I guess I should feel <laughs> good about myself that I've never gotten that letter. Okay. But Ted Lasso. I don't need to talk really too deeply about it. I was just curious if anyone had seen it and I, it's so delightful and it's one of those things where I wish I had seen it years ago, but I'm also happy that I'm watching it now. It's basically, I mean, I just love Jason Sudeikis mm-hmm. in general and typically he plays a total jerk. Like you think horrible bosses or a lot of his roles in um, Saturday Night Live even, but on mm-hmm. uh, Ted Lasso, he's just the nicest guy and, uh, and you hope that that's what he's actually like. And I, uh, yeah, he's a, football coach meaning soccer mm-hmm. and um yeah like in the just uk abs- yes mm-hmm. oh he gets brought over there because this lady is trying to destroy her ex-husband's team and hilarity ensues okay kate what are you watching what are you into oh geez what am i watching you know what i just finished watching also very late to the game <laughs> Um, was a recommendation from my hairdresser, which was um, on, which you can find on Amazon Prime. Um, and it's the docu-series Lula Rich. Mm, I have not heard of that. Oh, about the stretchy pants. Yes. It, so it's oh. about Lula Row, which is a company. And honestly, before this docu-series I'd never even heard of Lula Row except once I started watching it I was like oh that's where all of those memes and and just different pictures on the internet came from about stretchy pants that had these horrible designs on them that would you know they just it was 
it was lips kissing or a hamburger or something like that, just in the worst places. And oh boy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so good, so good to the point that um, I was two episodes in and Nick walked in and I gave him a very brief synopsis and he was sucked in. And that is not how um, the docuseries that I usually veer to go when he walks in the room. <laughs> so, so that's what I've been watching. And I'm, I, I don't know how it ends. I haven't, I haven't finished it, but I highly recommend, highly recommend. And what is, what is, what streaming service is that one on? Amazon Prime. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about you, Julie? Anything interesting in the on the TV? Or- well, you know, my life right now is a little bit sucked in at work because I'm trying to finish before I go on mat leave. But mm-hmm. I keep meaning to mention on the podcast that yes. anyone who lives in Calgary, when you are driving out of town on the 1A, so that would be going to like Cochrane, Morley, um, it's the, I think they call it the scenic route to Banff. It takes a little longer. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do that all the time. <laughs> On your way out before you hit 12 mile Cooley road, there is mm-hmm. a house right on the, on the main road there that has homing pigeons. Oh, no way. They're in a special coop. You can see them. They have their own little balconies that they get to trot out on. And um, yeah, they're very nice looking. Well, I mean, they're still the typical gray pigeon. They're not the fancy uh, Martha Stewart pigeons. But um, yeah, and take a look the next time you're out and see if you can spot them. Because I know we've talked about homing pigeons a couple times now <laughs> on the pod. And I and I just wanted to mention that if anybody was driving out this way to to take a look at those homing pigeons, and it's quite a fancy coop that they live in. Right on the Sorry, highway. can you tell us where again? So as you're leaving Calgary on the 1A, which is the crow child turns into the 1A, yes. right at the edge of the city before 12 Mile Cooley Road. Okay. Oh. Take a look. Okay, on the left or right? <laughs> on the north side. Yeah, you can only see it from the westbound lane. So that would be the right side. If you see the co-op, you miss them. Okay. Oh, oh it's oh, like before in the co-op. Yeah. Hmm. Just inside okay. the city limits. Oh, well, I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. That was the, the things that I had seen this week of interest. Not dead gophers, live pigeons. All right. Well, those are our <laughs> updates. Kate, where are we going today? All right. Well, I want to first put you both on the spot. Ooh. Okay. What is the perfect age to die? The perfect age to die. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a like. Okay, so my grandmother mm-hmm. died at the age of like ninety three in her home, silent or like peacefully in her sleep. And I'm like, that's to me, that's the dream. That's right the there. dream. Yeah, it is. I, I think it is for for a lot of people. For definitely for a lot of people. So today mm-hmm. I want to talk about life expectancy Ooh. and kind of where we've come and the difference between life expectancy and lifespan and what makes an ideal lifespan. 
if you will. Mm. So, I mean, back in the Bronze Age and Iron Age, the life expectancy was about 26 years. And one thing I want to mention is that life expectancy is different than lifespan in that it takes an average, so a life expectancy between a newborn to old age. So Mm -hmm. it takes in consideration that whole thing. So it's not dependent on people. It doesn't mean that people are dying at 40 years old. Yes. Um, It means that either there's a lot of people dying before 30 years, or if they make it to 30, they're dying after 55. Yeah. My understanding is that like in the cemetery that I tour, a lot of babies died in that time frame. So that brings the life expectancy down. It wasn't necessarily that people weren't living longer. It's that a lot of people died in their infancy. Yeah, that's exactly it. So in 1200 AD, the life expectancy would would say be 35. Mm-hmm. But rather than every child dying in infancy, a few children, like a lot, I would say, mm-hmm. of children would die in infancy. Um, but other people would live to be well beyond their 70th birthday. Right. So obviously, with the advance of modern medicine, that plays a huge role with infectious diseases like cholera and tuberculosis and smallpox, and that would go on to limit the longevity. But no disease was quite on the same scale as the damaging effect as the pubonic plague in the 14th century. So Mm. the Black Plague moved through Asia and Europe and pretty much wiped out as much as one third of Europe's population. So temporarily, that really brought the life expectancy downward. And and sorry, around that time, what would the life expectancy have been? Uh, So the life expectancy would have been around 35 to 40 years of age. Oh, wow. Since the early 1800s, life expectancy at birth has actually doubled in a period of only 10 or so generations. This is because of improved healthcare, sanitation, immunizations, access to clean running water, and better nutrition. And those have all those are all credited to the massive increase in why we are living longer. Hmm. Um, in an article published in 2011 in Scientific American, the author actually calls those 200 years um an evolution of grandparents because it marks the first time in human history in which three generations might actually coexist. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and now, like, I think we're, I think there are certain families, I know someone in my family, at one point there was five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, which is amazing. It's crazy to think about that, it, that way. I mean, obviously that's changing a little bit as we start to have our children older, but if we continue to have young children, like you, I wonder how high you could get it, like six generations. Well, and, and so there's, there's that kind of scale, right? Is it, if the generations are able to increase, if we have children, if generations have children young or if we're able to push those generations out, and maybe we can still have children at an older age, but we're able to live longer. I think right. the idea of having a child at 35 in the 1800s was that would be like hearing of the woman who gave birth at 60. <laughs> right. 
Right. Yeah. And it's just like, Janet Jackson. Why bother? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Janet Jackson is a great example because it's like, is this type of reproduction or life expectancy thinking, hey, I can do this at, at a later age and still give my child the life that they deserve and be the parent that I want to be? Is that reserved for somebody of more wealth? Mm, right. I mean, and then there's the idea of, you know, interview with a vampire. Have you... Have, it, has everybody it seen has that been movie? a long time. Talk about 90s <laughs> movie corner. Yeah. Well, it's a great movie. <laughs> I've not seen it. But I feel like... What? No. Oh, my God. Kristen, I feel like our next podcast needs to be a live viewing. Of <laughs> Especially because I say I'm like the 90s movie person. <laughs> How embarrassing. Worth watching. However, I feel like it is only one of a plethora of films that kind of remind us that living forever isn't ideal. Yeah. Right. So I feel like there is actually a perfect trajectory or life arc. Mm, life arc, yes. Like you need that death phase. You need a death phase to for regrowth to be meaningful. Exactly. Oh. And so for thousands of years, people have kind of always been searching for that, you know, that, uh, I don't know, the everlasting pool of youth or, or what, you know, can keep you youthful. But uh, I mean, only to a certain extent. And it sounds like the stuff of legends and myths, but we may be coming closer in reality than we ever have before. Because I have recently heard that with cutting-edge science, there could be significant extending of the human lifespans in the very near future. Mm. And uh, I don't know how I feel about that. No. I've, or should I say, I've got a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... I... Before, before, I want to know all your feelings, but I just want to understand, it, would it strictly be from a medicine is going to keep us going or it's going to get to the point where we're like downloading to computer chips and that's what's extending our life? Less on the AI side of it, because I think that's a very different topic and more to, there are scientists out there that believe that the first person to live to be 150 years old is already alive. And I don't think I want to be like, say, say the universe turned around and was like, hey, you're that person. I'd be like, oh, no, thank you. Hmm. I, I just question the quality of living. Absolutely. Because, you know, we all know people who have, who are, I remember taking a yoga class with a lady named Dottie who was 99. <laughs> If that's what 150 looks like, I'm there for it. Right, right. But right. if the last 50 years of your life are um, your mobility is reduced, um, potentially your mental health is waning, um, you know, either or both of those things for 
50, like a third of your life? That I would say no thank you to, absolutely. Definitely. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, I feel very, I don't want to say opposed, opposed to, or, you know, I feel very strongly about, but I, I guess I fear that people would be, there are people out there that would be more concerned to being the person that was able to get somebody to 150 than to actually be concerned in how they did that or the quality of life that that oh, brought the person who's it. enabling the person to be 150 not even exactly the so uh-huh. say the person alive that's going to live to be the first person to, that's going to live to be 150 is alive yeah. I mean, their attending physician or the person that's going to enable that or help, like, see that through could be, you know, an infant right now. Ooh. Huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there's enough people, though, who are so afraid of death. Like, I don't think it's going to have to be a person who's like us, who's like, I'm not sure. I think there's enough people who are like, yeah, I'll live forever or like as long as I possibly can. Yeah, that's that's true, too. I, I, yeah, yeah. I guess I hadn't thought about people who don't feel the same way as me. <laughs> you know, the one thing I, I do watch a lot of is ER. Where and how? Amazon Prime. It has like 20 okay, Amazon seasons. Prime. Okay, okay, okay. Also, if somebody does start watching that, we need to talk about it. Um, <laughs> we need a club for people who watch things way too late and I'm starting the Ted Lasso one um, but what I was going to mention um, is that you know it might not even there be their primary healthcare provider who's trying to extend it I'm thinking about people whose families keep them on things like ventilators mm. and things like that even though there's no quality of life because there's an unwillingness to let go like who, you know there could be so many factors this poor, I, I, I am starting to sympathize or feel bad for this person who makes it to 150 because you're, I think you're right that it will probably be pushing some, some ethical ideals. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so from personal experience, I, I am on a mailing list for the Canadian um, ability to die with dignity. And that is because my husband's grandfather and grandmother both had, uh, both struggled with Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm, right. For my husband's grandfather, it got to the point where it was very, it was extremely difficult, particularly for my mother-in-law, who was an only child and was making all the decisions and had to see him through everything until the very end and had certain laws been in place dying with dignity would have been an option for the family it was not at the time one of the reasons my mother-in-law is such a strong advocate for this is because she knows that this is hereditary and she Mm -hmm. does not want her children to go through what she has gone through and so Mm -hmm. There have been a ton of advances in, you know, that type of scientific research, but it's, you know, there's a long way to go before a lot of diseases that come with old age are cured by any means. So I would hate to think that living for 150 years is achieved for the wrong reasons or by 
the wrong people. Yeah. It, it's kind of like going to Mars. Like I hope there's a volunteer and, right. and I hope that those around them are aware of what their wishes are, you know, um, whether it. Are you talking about going to Mars, Julia, or dying? <laughs> talk about dying. Okay, good. Because, like, I hope that the people around them don't just send them to Mars. Let me restart my analogy. I just hope that whoever the 150 is, is an absolute willing participant in mm. that process and, um, and that they are able to maintain their quality of life and that we don't just, like, as a, you know, as a society or whatever, they're like, yeah, but we can keep this 147 year old alive for three more years. So let's do it. Like, mm. that's all I mean. But is that, is the thought though that like, oh, there's enough, like there's enough going on in the world, medical advances that someone is going to make it to 150 or is it like, no, we can keep someone alive to 150. Like, I think it's a combination of both. Okay. So there's the idea that um, we can keep ourselves young enough to get older slower Mm. and also the medical advances in as we age we don't need to we won't necessarily deteriorate at the same rate at which we have and there's also a podcast on cbc with keith MacArthur on anti-aging in Mm. which Keith MacArthur says, it's always been a mystery to me um, that this isn't totally totally obvious to everyone. Uh, do we let cars fall apart when they get old? Yes, in general. But if we really want to, we can take care of them. That's why we have 50-year-old VW Beetles driving around. It's bizarre that people don't see this can be true for a machine as the human body. I get what he's saying, though. Julie, you look skeptical. I am extremely skeptical for the very reason that you mentioned with um, your grandmother-in-law, which is things like genetic, like a genetic trait such as Alzheimer's, which, yeah, we can science that out. The ethics around that are still in their very early stages, and there is high potential as we start mucking around with people's genes for things to go um, in a way that's um, maybe negative to our society or as a whole, I would argue. I would also say that, yeah, but if you've ever seen a hot rod, you know, the body <laughs> is from 1950s and looks great. What's under the hood is probably a 96 Corvette's engine. So we're hmm. talking about a lot of replacement of parts and a lot of... um aesthetic or superficial things that we do to vehicles that I do see people doing to their bodies as well. Um, but once we get inside, you're you're t- probably looking at genetic manipulation and potentially transplantation. Now, I'm not saying that we all have to accept that our lives can only be 100 years, but I'm just saying that logic isn't perfect. And uh I think we have a ways to go before we can just science out aging. I love that you brought that up because Keith MacArthur, his podcast, which is called Unlocking the Fountain, he actually wanted to really look into the longevity research and what 
people are doing on the cutting edge of, you know, lifespan because him and his wife have a child of special needs. And his first and foremost thought was, what happens when I get too old and cannot and can no longer take care of my child? And so, of course, for longtime listeners, this resonated hugely with me. And it's something that I've I have absolutely thought about and it's something that I hadn't considered that being the science that I would want to turn towards as opposed to the science that can help my child get over a disability. And so there's both of those are it's if you're messing with genes, you're messing with you're messing with nature. You're messing with nature. Yep. And there's a risk and a cost associated with that. And, Absolutely. you know, it's one of those things that, of course, um, none of us would at face value say, okay, well, if could we use gene therapy to, let's use the big C, get rid of cancer? I mean, at face value, I think most of us would say, yeah, let's do it. But if I you know, if secondary to that, it was like, and that means that you can genetically choose your children um, and like make sure that all their genes are exactly the way you want them before they're born. That's where the ethics um, all of a sudden become a little bit more gray. And I'm not trying to deny anyone their health. I'm just suggesting that um, we as a society might not be there yet because of some of the things we prioritize over real and true health. Absolutely. I mean, and in, again, in terms of ethical decisions, are there, is there room for people to live for 150 years? We're already have a huge population, you know, issue among the, the global population. And so is it, is it fair for, those who can afford to be able to advance their health and genetic system and whatever that may entail to stay for 150 years when we've got up and coming generations who are struggling to I okay I'm gonna, first and foremost when I think of living to 150 years I thought oh my god how long do I have to work for like what does that make my retirement age that was my first my first thought was absolutely I have no I have no desire to live to 150 years if I'm that means I have to work until I'm what 110 like so that you can have that 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 glory 40 years of... but you're the if you're the first gal I mean we're in the stage where we would be You'll be retiring much earlier. They'll have no idea you're going to make it to 150. That's so true. That's very true. But again, that comes back to, and how much is that going to impact the people that need to take care of me or pay for me or, you know, the the economy that's got to support me as I just won't die? (laughs) Did you guys ever see that film? I don't know. I think about it a lot during COVID when I don't leave, like, I know it's not like, we're not in the full quarantine mode, but I can't remember what movie it was, but it was literally this movie where everyone like lived in a pod, like in their home and they would send out, it was like a futuristic movie, but a per like there would be like a, 
drone or whatever that would go out and like live your life and you would like basically think it in your pod at home but I feel like that is kind of what I feel like sometimes when I'm at home because I'm like the idea that essentially like you live in this pod at home and you're safe like you're very healthy because you really don't leave the house you're not in Mm. danger you're not in the car you're not in this and that and I kind of just wonder with like the changes that are happening now with us not being exposed to as many things out in the world I kind of think about that too in terms of like how that will impact our longevity and the fact that you could basically live your life at this point mostly in your home and never go anywhere that doesn't sound appealing but I also haven't experienced the virtual reality of going on a African safari so who am am I to say that that doesn't sound appealing I think you both mentioned it early on that there is an aspect to all of this related to wealth that right Mm. I I would suggest that the yeah who you know, these, the people who have the the privilege of living, let's (laughs) till to 150 are probably going to have some access to some pretty expensive healthcare on the, for the first while at least. Mm -hmm. Lots to consider in the idea of what is the perfect age to die, but to end on a positive note, it's not going to sound positive. We had a friend die in an accident at a very young age and This has always reminded me of them. It's not the amount of years in a life. It's the amount of life in the years. Yes, very well said. Really interesting topic, Kate. Uh, Kristen, I would love to hear some good news. Well, I really hope this comes as a a surprise. Um, In, I think a lot of cities have this list, but uh, in Calgary, there's this list from Avenue Magazine called the top 40 under 40. Are you guys aware of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you I'm on it? I'm very curious where you're going. Yeah, I'm on it. No! No, you- I'm not. Sorry. What What would I be on it for? What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, but it's basically um, a list of people in the city that year who um, have distinguished themselves professionally and are moving the city forward. For Avenue Magazine, they say it's a group of members who aren't just out to succeed for their own gain, but to succeed at creating a more equitable, accessible, and just society. So I'm always curious, and I like to hate read these. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. I like to read okay. about what people are up to and you know who who's on there. And much to my excitement... Someone that Julie and I went to elementary school is on there. What? Amazing! That is a surprise. I can't wait to hear who it is. And I hope it's somebody that I didn't love. It was your nemesis in high school. <laughs> in it's someone that I... Yeah, in elementary... it was Julie's elementary. elementary school nemesis. So it was actually Sherry Shuriel. Shut the front door! <laughs> Sherry was a so... very good friend. Um, A very good friend. So it's absolutely amazing. And I was reading it and I sent her a note immediately because it was just so touching. But um, basically, so her headline is Sherry acts both locally and globally to deliver health services to women in racialized populations. So she is the clinical supervisor at the Center for Refugee Resilience and the co-founder at Matakar Maternal and Health Center in India. Wow. So, um... Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. So she 
works in the mental health field. And she says she gives her clients the opportunity to define self-define their needs. Her quote is, people don't need my help. I think what they need is a space to honor trauma, what has happened to them to explore it. And I think they need security and safety. And so she, um, in her many, she has lots of different roles as previously mentioned. So she works with marginalized populations, refugees and indigenous people that are largely misunderstood by the healthcare system. So um, her kind of final quote, I guess, is my expertise is just listening to communities and then figuring out how we can support them or what can be structured to support them. It's taking an affirming and anti-oppressive approach and then minimizing the power dynamics. And then her final quote is, I'm just part of this with you. So it's absolutely amazing. So um, that is amazing. So I was like really, really proud to read that. That was like our elementary school buddy uh, who we have totally. countless adventures with. Oh, and yeah. um, she's obviously gone on to uh, change the world. Amazing. So yeah. cool. I'm so glad you brought that forward. Ah. And just to rem- and she's, well, I'm allowed to say this because it's on her profile, but she's 36 years old. So you know, uh, it's just a nice reminder that if you kind of set your goals the right way, you can make a difference. Wow. Oh, incredible. Oh, okay. Kristen, make sure to, I will um, make sure to include the link to, I have a new magazine article in our show notes. That's amazing. Yeah, for sure. Well, did you find what you were looking for? Mm-hmm. 